Last week on the podcast, I started an honest conversation with my friend Scott Smiley about race in America and how we as friends and leaders and co-workers can engage in the ministry of reconciliation through relationship. And that's where the conversation ended. This week is the second half of that conversation. And I'll warn you, it's a little abrupt to get started because we did pick up literally in the middle of that conversation. But with this one, we transitioned to talk about how we can begin to engage young people in our communities and in our ministries in the ministry of reconciliation to guide them, to steer them, and equip them and empower them to bring about change in their communities. Hope you enjoy this episode. Get up, get up. Welcome to the Ministry Leader Podcast, where every week we explore ministry practices to help leaders leverage their limited time for greater impact with young people. I'm your host. My name's Brian. Here we go. Get up, get up. I want to transition a little bit. Okay. Um, because our organization, Youth for Christ, in Northern Indiana, at least, we have a great reach in counties and cities in Northeast Indiana, where we have people engaging the next generation of teenagers. Mm -hmm. the next generation of leaders in our world. So this conversation cannot end with you and I. Right. Our young people, I know even here in Fort Wayne, you were telling me that there are young people from the City Life Center that you lead that are involved in the protests in our city that are trying to figure out what's my next step? How can I make a difference? We as leaders of this organization, as leaders who engage teenagers, have to take this conversation to the young people that we work with. So on a conversation we had on the phone the other day, you were talking about um, this idea of you can't let your, well, how, I forget how you said it, your passion and your, you talked about having a passion, but creating a plan. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that a little bit? Like I probably didn't say it well, but I'll let you speak to that. Gotcha. So over the course of my life, I've had situations that brought out just a plethora of emotions, frustrations, devastation, and so forth. Um, there's a passion that is created when you see many of your friends die or go to jail or just have unforeseen circumstances primarily brought about by the environment they live in. Uh, when when you see devastation happen happening amongst your peers, it's it's just really difficult to handle. And then as you as you continue to grow up and you continue to evolve and you have new experiences, uh, within those new experiences, oftentimes is uh, racism that you have to face that might trigger um, feelings of just despondency and sadness about the friends and peers you grew up with who basically were trapped in a situation that they had no idea how to get out of. And so you see it from a different context. And so as, as those incidents occur, you can either continue to get fired, you can continue to walk away, or you can find a plan that would allow you to continue to climb and use that passion in a more productive way. And thankfully, 
I have been blessed with mentors that have put their arms around me and shown me a better way. They never, they never made it seem as though I was quote unquote wrong for being passionate and not knowing how to express myself. They said, you're right. However, here's a way that you can express yourself and create a plan and, and ultimately create a path to see the results I wanted to see. So I love that. And that challenges me too. Um, because having the passion, mm -hmm. creating a plan and then executing the plan are three very different things. Um, Amen. and I, I have a tendency to create, I have passion. I can create a plan, but oftentimes executing that plan, um, is, is, because it gets hard, mm -hmm. because it gets difficult. I hit a roadblock and go, ah, maybe this was the wrong plan. I'm still passionate. How do I go around it? And so just the encouragement that is for me to just continue to push through the roadblocks, mm -hmm. continue to push through the obstacles because they will be there. Right. This is something that you are, if you have a passion and a plan, you're moving in a direction that you've never moved before. Um, so there will be resistance and we've got to fight through that. Mm -hmm. um, and again, going back to what we talked about before, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? Like mm -hmm. if he's as, as believers following the path that Jesus has for us, and he's part of these plans, he may change the plan because our plans aren't his plans. Right. Um, but if we're pursuing him, we can do it. We right. can get through it because of his power and his strength. So, um, yeah, I think Scott, for me, as I, as I think about like, our campus life sites, and I think about our um, local churches that listen across the country here in the States. Um, my, you know, I've, I'd have to dig into our numbers and our analytics a little bit, but my assumptions are that these are primarily suburban listeners mm -hmm. um, to this who may not be in a place where they have students that are maybe, maybe not. I'm making some assumptions that maybe there are, are sites are not as diverse. And so this isn't a um, kind of super in your face issue, but we have to have these conversations. Um, and, our, and our conversations may be slightly different because those conversations may be bringing awareness right. to, as I mentioned earlier, like to places that we're used to comfort. We don't want to be uncomfortable. So I think as leaders, we have to be willing to bring a level of discomfort and we have to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. There may be pushback from students. There may be pushback from parents um, in our ministries as we engage in these conversations, but we have to have the strength and the courage to engage this next generation because this isn't going away today. Right. This isn't going away with our generation. You've encouraged me that this is not a sprint. This is a marathon and it's been going on a long time and it will continue to go on a long time. Can you speak to a little bit of that, uh, the, the, the marathon versus the sprint? Well, it's, it's ironic that you bring that up because it was probably two weeks ago. We had that conversation about mm -hmm. it's a marathon, uh, versus a sprint and to see the young people uh, three weeks after the George Floyd incident, still protesting and still uh, using their voice to create change is inspiring. And it's not only certain 
churches on the outskirts of town or in the suburbs that have gotten comfortable. There have been churches in uh, in the inner city that have gotten comfortable mm. as well. Not to call anybody out. We all have to take responsibility. Right. And we all have to answer the call to say, what more can I do? Uh, and, and this goes beyond faith-based entities. Any Anybody and any organization that serves people should have a pulse on what's going on and should be asking themselves, what more can I do? What more can we do? Um, so getting back to your initial question about or uh, original statement about marathon versus a sprint, yes, uh, injustices, uh, racial profiling, police brutality, all of these occurrences have been going on for quite some time but i think like i think now is the time more than ever that we can mobilize and unify and create some concrete plans and concrete actions to ensure that future generations will not face nearly the amount of abuse that generations prior to them has faced not just because somebody figured it out for them but because we all came together both uh, the judicial system, politicians, police officers, mayors. It's going it's gonna to take everybody. And one of the things I've learned a long time ago was no fault problem solving. Here's mm-hmm. the issue. It doesn't have to be anybody's fault. We, we're not going to solve this point fingers. It's going to take a collaborative effort of people saying, where do we agree? Let's start there. Your method might look slightly different from my method, but if we agree on something that we can get started, let's accomplish that, and then we can go on to step number two if there's another place where we agree. And that can happen at the micro level with, like you and I, it can happen at the meso level with organizations, and it can happen at the macro level in terms of cities, states, governments, and so forth. But it's not going to happen if we point the finger at at each other and blame each other. It's going to happen because we've taken personal uh, account of our own actions and said, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do more and I'm looking to work with those who want to do more and we're going to find where we agree and start there. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, I remember, was it 1991, the Rodney King, uh, was it 91 around that time? Mm -hmm. Um, I, and and this will play into what we're talking about. I think I've got a myriad of metaphors running through my mind right now, but (laughs) I remember when that happened, it was very similar situation. I felt like I was a kid at the time. Right. So my understanding of what all was happening was different than it is now. Um, but I was in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. It's where I grew up. And that always, we knew that time for me as the LA riots. Like this was their problem. This was mm-hmm. happening in Los Angeles. And I think what's happening right now is the, you know, like it or hate it, love it or hate it. The expansion of social media has made this our problem. It was always our problem, mm-hmm. but we feel it more because it's everywhere. It's not over there. It's right here in my town. Mm-hmm. It's right here in my city. It's right here in my my neighborhood, in my backyard. Like this is our, this is my problem. And I, it's a call to me to engage and to engage with my kids. Right. You know, I'm not leading a ministry site right now, but I'm, I'm raising young people in my own house mm-hmm. um, and having conversations with them and trying to lead them in a direction that's gonna make a better future, not just for them, 
but for us. Right. Um, and, and so that's, that's hit me powerfully. Um, so this idea that, uh, it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, the, the other thing I, I've never run a marathon, Scott, I don't have any desire to run a marathon. I have run a, a half marathon and I, I'm really proud of that, but that's as far as it's ever gotten. But I think of it as, um, there were times as I was running those 13.1 miles that I felt really good mm-hmm. and I could run faster. And there were times that I was just drained and I needed to slow down, mm-hmm. get a drink of water and replenish myself because I knew I wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. To me, this feels like one of those times where not that we're feeling good, this is hard, but this is a time where we pick up our pace a little bit. Right. This is a marathon. Everybody's seeing it. The, the light is shining right. on a particular issue that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's shining really bright right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we need to pick up our pace. We're not going to fix it right now, but we're investing more right, intentionally. Right. So well said. That's exactly what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. So Scott, um, the encouragement that we've shared with leaders so far has been to engage the conversation with young people. Like as we, I don't know if we'll ever be comfortable with the conversation. Hopefully, more and more so. Um, but we, as we wrestle with this internally as leaders and with our organizations that we serve and we engage young people. Um, what about from a young person's perspective? Because they might have a myriad of feelings and, and concerns on this issue too. So how would you suggest we approach that? Well, I think we would first need to gauge where that young person might be just by observing their uh, demeanor. A lot of times can tell you how affected they might be. And if you're not, if you're not ready to have an intense conversation, then maybe you might not need to approach a certain young person. Uh, if there's somebody that is maybe less uh, moved by the situation and you're more comfortable with that student or you have a better relationship with that student, then that's probably who you should approach. So I think we should use discernment in who we approach and how we approach them to make sure we don't do more harm than good. That's good. And we've been talking about getting outside of your comfort zone, which is, which is wonderful. And yet we, we need to do that with discernment as well, because Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to get so far out of your outside of your comfort zone that you're trying to uh, heal something and end up doing more damage. Yeah. So uh, one young person that I was talking to said that they would want to express themselves to somebody that was not going to be uh, or become defensive and that somebody and somebody that was not going to judge them based mm-hmm. on the way they felt. So that was that was very powerful to hear from one of our young leaders. Yeah. We talk about that all the time. Right. In youth ministry, we've got to let people express. We've got to listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but too often, if it if their feelings don't match up with our experience, it's easy to become defensive and want to correct. Right. Um, and that's dangerous. It's very dangerous mm-hmm. um, because it can cause more damage because we might not be right. Mm-hmm. You know, our experience tells us something that's vastly different than what is actually happening. And I know that's been the case for me a little bit. Mm-hmm. So the, the student that I was 
referring to the the student that I'm uh, using as uh, the voice of the youth. Yeah. I asked that student, do you trust me to help guide you through this? Do you want me to help you in this moment? Mm -hmm. And the answer was yes. Now, if the answer was no, then I know that I need to move on and try to encourage somebody else because if you don't have their trust and if they don't want your help, it's no, it's no need to engage any further after that point. Mm. So you got to make sure there's a relationship there, that there's a trust built up, or you have to be willing to earn that trust and spend the time relation-wise to help them. Yeah. That's good. So what would you say, like, how can we, um, approach students who don't want to see what's happening, who, who deny what's happening, who make the issue about violence and riots than actually what the issue really is? How can we approach those conversations, um, effectively? Here's the thing. If they do not want to be approached and they do not want to think with an open mind, then it might not be anything that you or anybody in your circle says that plants the seed for a change of heart. Maybe it's an experience down the road that mm -hmm. might enlighten them or help them uh, see things from a different perspective. Yeah. I would also say too, if, if we were to engage, I would, I would approach it as asking questions, almost like you shared with the student that you were talking to, like, why do you feel this way? Mm -hmm. Um, I would want to sit down with those students and go, why do you feel this way? Like, what is it? I, I'm not going to try and step in and correct you. I'm right. not going to step in and argue with you. I, there's too much arguing in the, in the world right now. There's too much arguing in the church right now. And I want to go on a, I just want to preach right now and I'm not mm -hmm. going to, <laughs> but, um, we want to be right. Mm -hmm. And even in our engagement with young people, like your encouragement is listen, Mm -hmm. we don't have to prove ourselves right. We need to start from a place of listening and then maybe we can actually engage the conversation mm -hmm. and the issue once we get to the heart of the matter. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, so just an encouragement to let young people, as you said, feel the way they feel and to listen to them, no matter how they're processing this, um, they're in the midst of it and experiencing it, or they turn their backs and deny that it's happening. We need to listen, mm -hmm. but we need to have the conversation. So. Definitely. Well, Scott, that brings us to the end of this conversation on air. I trust that we will continue having conversations off air. Um, I respect your voice in my life and I'm grateful for your friendship. So thanks for likewise. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> thanks for leading me, um, in this conversation. Thanks for caring about me. Thanks for caring about my family. Um, and for listeners out there again, uh, we hope this has been helpful to you. We hope that you are wherever you are in the country or abroad that you're engaging this conversation. I don't believe this is just the United States issue. Um, racism is everywhere. It is, there's a spotlight on it in our country right now. And we are engaging in, in new ways and in intentional ways, but wherever you're listening, engage the conversation. There, there's so much more at stake um, as we seek to be reconcilers in this world, to live and love the way Jesus loved us. Amen. Ooh. Get up, get up.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ministry Leader Podcast. We hope that this conversation has been helpful for you. And again, we would just encourage you to have conversations with people in your ministry, at your site, in your community, people who practice ministry like you, people who practice ministry very different from you, people who look like you, and people who don't look like you. It's important that we're adequately informed on the issues happening in our country right now. I believe Jesus would want us to engage thoughtfully and responsibly in the issues that are happening. So once again, the ministry of reconciliation is the ministry that Jesus gave to us, and it's a ministry that we can empower our young people to pursue. So Again, thanks for listening. We hope this has been helpful. Have a great week. Tune in next week to the Ministry Leader Podcast.